Good afternoon. I want you to imagine with me a world cloaked in darkness where perceptions are clouded by uncertainty. In John chapter 9, verses 8 through 23, we will gaze into a powerful narrative of a man born blind. He's then granted sight by an encounter with God. And this miraculous healing challenges us to examine the layers of insight, both physical and spiritual. We're going to see that it's going to shape our understanding. As we unravel this story, we're going to uncover the deeper meaning behind Jesus' transformative act, shedding light on the journey from darkness to illumination. And in John 20, verses 31, 30 and 31, we're reminded that the compass that we have as we look into God's word in John, it reminds us that what John is saying is so that we might believe more in God. So we we will find there a compass that is guiding us towards the heart of the gospel where belief is not just born from sight, but from the profound encounter with God because of the works that he is doing. So I want you to join me as we look into these verses, seeking wisdom and revelation as we explore the profound connection between sight, faith, and the Lord our God. So if you would, turn with me to John chapter 9, and we're going to pick up where we left off. And you remember, we we had begun uh, discussing this blind man. And we're going to pick up where we left off in John chapter 9. We're going to read down to verse 23. We got a nice piece of land to try to cover. We would do our best. I'm trying to have my points to be a little bit more even. And so uh, hopefully we can, we can cover that today. Hear now the word of the living God. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar, speaking of the blind man, saying, 
Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed. And received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received this sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs. And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received the sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Asked him, he is of of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. The Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. This is the word of God. The flower fades. The green grass falls. The word of our Lord shall stand forever. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would help us to receive your word by way of your spirit. 
We pray that you would illumine your word, that we might receive it with clarity and with understanding. We pray that you would teach us the deep truths that are found within. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to not only know your word, we pray that you would help us apply your word. And we pray, Lord, that as we hear your word and receive your word and begin to apply your word, we pray that you would help us in our pursuit of you. We pray that you would help us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and your righteousness. And we know that all things will be added unto us. Have your way, O oh God, amongst us. We are yours, and you are ours. Speak to us now. I am a weak vessel. Pray that I would decrease as you increase. And may you get all of the glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Sermon is entitled, Standing firm in the faith amidst doubt and opposition. Five points. Point number one, give recognition. Point number two, testify to the truth. Point number three, silence the skeptics. Point number four, Stand firm in the faith. Point number five, acknowledge the Son. Let's begin. Point number one, give recognition. Imagine a famous artist paints a beautiful mural on a dilapidated wall in a city alley. Every day, people walk past the alley and marvel at its beauty. The colors are vibrant. The images are breathtaking. The once grimy wall now tells a captivating story. Some recognize the unique style of the artist. But others, despite the clear evidence in front of them, question whether the famous artist really painted it or if it's just a replica by an unknown painter. Like the artist's unmistakable touch, the transformative power of Jesus is evident in the lives he touches. Yet some, blinded by skepticism or unwillingness, refuse to give him the recognition he deserves. And so look again at verses 8 and 9. It says, the neighbors and those who had seen him, the blind man, before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and Big. 
And some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. In this vast tapestry of life's events, it's vital to discern and to acknowledge where God's hand has actively shaped and transformed moments and lives. And in our text, we see this reality. This act of giving recognition is not just about observing changes, but it's about understanding and acknowledging divine power that is at work in our lives. We are to give credit where credit is due. And so in John 8 and 9, the neighbors recognized the physical transformation of the man who was once blind. But their recognition, however, should not just have stopped at the surface level of seeing the change, but it should have gone deeper into acknowledging the divine power that was behind the change, that brought about the change. And it should have been something that moved the people in such a way that it would cause them to say, this is amazing, this is beautiful, I can't believe it. Similarly, when believers witness transformations, miracles, or even everyday blessings, the acknowledgement should go beyond the superficial and be directed towards God, the orchestrator of those wonders. To God be the glory. We ought to always have praise coming off of our tongues in honor and giving glory to God because we're mindful of the goodness of God. And we can't help ourselves because we notice this, all of the blessings that is around us. And we can't but help ourselves to say, thank you, Lord. You've been good to me. In our relationship with God, recognizing his work in our lives is an essential aspect of our faith journey. We are reminding ourselves of who God is and what he has done for us. Every blessing, we're acknowledging him. Every challenge that we have overcome. We are acknowledging him. Every unexpected joy is an opportunity to give recognition to where recognition is due. This acknowledgement deepens our connection with him, fortifying our faith. But why is this acknowledgement crucial. By recognizing God's role in our life, 
we don't just passively observe events. We actively see them through in a lens of faith. We're looking at all of life through our lens of faith, and we give glory to God, and we practice this daily. That's why the blind man couldn't help but speak up and speak out as to what happened to him. And while we're on the Christian journey, we must do the same. We must look for ways to honor the Lord our God. This perspective helps us navigate challenges with hope. It helps us to navigate challenges with grace with an understanding that God is sovereign over all things. And guess what it's going to do? It's going to build up our confidence. It's going to strengthen us. We're going to be able to fortify our walls of faith. And so this perspective will continue to guide us in understanding that God's hand is always at work. God is twisting here. He's twisting there. He's fixing this and fixing that. Our God, though the boat may be shaky, though it may be rocky, our Lord, our God keeps the water out of the boat. We're able to carry on because he's God. He is king. And so we're able to live our lives in a way knowing that he's in control. He's at the helm, guiding every circumstance, every situation in our life, God is in control. And so we have this great confidence. However, the world around us often praises self-sufficiency, inadvertently encouraging us to take credit for the blessings and all of the many things God has done, the transformation that are truly God's handiwork. The world is trying to tempt us to take credit for it. Therefore, the application serves as a reminder. Every time we witness a positive change, every time there's transformation or even a miracle, while it's natural to appreciate the outcome, it is vital to give due recognition to God, acknowledging him as the source from which it came. We're to press into God. We're to look through the lens of faith, and we're to give him glory. And We can say like the psalm writer says, what a mighty God we serve. While the healed man's neighbors were quick to notice the change, they missed the essential point, the acknowledgement of God's role 
in this transformation. Recognizing God's miracles isn't just about seeing them, but it's about attributing them to God because he deserves it. And we see it all the time. People just go by living their lives. And all of this creation have come from a creator whom they never give honor or glory to at all in their lives. They just benefit from a good God. And We used to be like that. We used to be in the dark, not giving God glory at all. And oh, what an opportunity we have now. Now that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous life, how could we not glorify him? How could we not honor him? This is what the neighbors did. And so they missed the essential point. So this is a reminder to us. Recognizing God's miracle is more about him than the miracle itself. You remember when those friends tore open the roof because they heard Jesus was in town and their friend was, was paralyzed, couldn't move, and they wanted to, to help him and there was no way to enter into the building. And so they got on top of the building and they started pulling up shingles or mud or hay or whatever it was they covered the building with and they brought their friend down. And he saw the Pharisees as they looked, as they fought. And instead of God saying, get up and walk first, he first said, your sins are forgiven you. And you know how the Lord could read people's mind. He says, why are you thinking that? And they were saying to themselves, nobody can forgive sin but God. And you remember the story that when he said that, he said, just so you know that I have the power to forgive sins, he told the man, get up and walk, and he walked out of that. And so the miracle pointed to him. He says, I am the man. I am the son of God. Listen to me just so you know I'm going to authenticate my message with a miracle, with a sign so that you can know that I am sent from God. And I only do what the father tells me to do. And so, in 2 Corinthians 5.17, we're reminded of this. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old have passed away. Behold, the new has come. This scripture encapsulates the profound change a believer undergoes in Christ. No one who come to know Christ can remain the same. Why? Because God is at work. And if people are continuing in sin and there is no change, and I'm not talking about perfection, but I'm talking about small incremental changes that we know that nobody is doing it but God. 
we can't remain the same because the Scripture teaches us that he who begins a good work in you shall complete it, right? In other words, every day we are to be participating in putting off of the old man. We're to be kicking him down. Why? Because the text in 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, the old have passed away. That man is dead. We are alive in Christ, and we must live in it. We must remember who we are and whose we are. And so, Recognizing and celebrating this transformation means recognizing and celebrating God. So, giving recognition is an invitation to continually turning our eyes and hearts towards God, acknowledging Him as the architect of turning points. The turning points in our lives, big and small, it's about celebrating God's active role. God is not a do-nothing God. He has a sovereign plan, and he's, he's working it out. Every aspect of your life, God is working it out. He has a plan for you. And so we're reminded of this. And so... As we are celebrating God's active role, we're deepening our gratitude and we're fortifying our faith. Point number two, testifying to the truth. Picture a child who once was terrified of water. She would scream even with the smallest splash. But after weeks of training and overcoming her fear, She's now an adept swimmer. When she's excited, when she excitedly tells her friends about her new skills, some doubt her. You see, they remember her fear and can't believe she's changed. But she invites them to the pool. She dives in and gracefully swims across without any problems. Her actions are her testimony. Similarly, the blind man's restored sight was his testimony, a visible proof of Jesus' miracle. To testify is to provide a first-hand account or evidence of a truth you've witnessed or experienced. In the context of faith, it involves sharing personal experiences of God, uh, God's intervention, grace, and power in one's life. So testifying to the truth goes beyond merely stating facts. It's a deeply personal affirmation of faith, an account of a lived-out relationship with God. And in John 9, 10 through 12, the man 
who was healed by Jesus does precisely this. When questioned about his newfound sight, he didn't just provide a clinical account of the events. He gave a testimony. His eyes, which once could not see, were now open, and he attributed this transformation directly to the Lord himself. This man's statement was simple yet powerful. His words were not just about physical sight, but also spiritual insight. He acknowledged Jesus' divine power asserting its reality in the face of doubt and skepticism. It's as if the man said, I don't care what you think you believe. I know what happened. And beloved, we have a beautiful opportunity to share and to be a witness of our own testimony and our story, and nobody can take that away. Nobody can tell us what happened to us by way of the Lord. They have to receive that. And so, even in the midst of people doubting what we're saying to them, as we share the gospel, as we share the word of God, we can say, I know them for myself. Right? We are able to tell our own story, and they can't deny that. We can say, I I remember when I was dead in trespasses and in sin. I remember when I disobeyed God, and I hated God by my actions, and now look at me. I love Him with all of my heart, and I can tell you that God is real. He's done it for me, and He can do it for you. We can say like the Samaritan woman at the well, come see a man that told me all that I ever did. Right? We're to continue telling our story. We're to continue using our story. And God could use that as a means of drawing people to himself. And so what a privilege we have just like this man who was healed. And so, every believer is both a witness and a recipient of God's grace. Thus, every believer carries within them a testimony of God's work in their life from significant miracles to regular, everyday blessings. Do you know it's a blessing to just put on your socks? Right? There's some people who don't have that ability. <laughs> some of my pregnant uh, expected mothers might help me with that one. Right? Some of my elderly brothers and sisters might help me with that. I'm learning that as we get older, things change. These don't operate like they used to operate. And so we're to be thankful for the everyday blessing. 
However, the challenge is being ready and willing to share our testimony when the opportunity comes. So being ready doesn't just mean waiting for a grand moment. It means recognizing God's everyday interventions and acknowledging them, both in private and public, unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that means when I'm at work, I can say, man, God is so good. Wow, I can't believe how good he is. I'm able to testify of that when, when people say, hey, Steve, how is it going today? How, how are you doing? I can say I'm doing better than most. I'm doing better than I deserve. I'm able to say, end it off with God is good. God is good. You see these opportunities we have with just everyday interventions and acknowledging God in private and in public. Sometimes we just have to be driving along in our cars or just walking along the beach and we can say, Lord, thank you. Thank you for the trees and the, thank you for the, the beautiful potpourri of flowers and the perfume that flows from the flowers and the ocean water that it's coming in my nostrils with the beautiful brisk breeze that is on my face with the sun shining, warming me up just at the right temperature. Oh, thank you, Lord. That's being intentional. That's, that's finding a way to commune with God. And so we're to... We're to we're to do that on a regular basis. The world often poses questions, some out of genuine curiosity, others out of skepticism. In the face of these questions, believers are encouraged to share their personal experiences of God's transforming power in their lives. Sometimes we got to, we got to create the situation. And that just simply means that, man, I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I struggle in life. Hey, hey, how do you deal with that? Right? Oh, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I just, you know, I just take it one day at a time. We able to pull back another layer. What do you mean? Right? How, how, how are you dealing with the loss of your, I don't, I don't know. But can I tell you what helped me? Can I tell you my story? You see, that, that's an opportunity. That's something I just kind of created out of conversation, right? And what a privilege we have. But those are, that, that's one way of doing it, but, but we must be mindful to be ready at all time to just share our testimony. And 1 Peter 3.15 suggests that the testimony should be delivered in a certain way. And what he says is that our testimony ought to be delivered with gentleness and with respect. All right? Gentleness 
with respect. So that ought to guard how we deal with people, how we engage with them, how we have conversations with people about God. It ought to guard us when there is a debate. Right? And so it's it's not about winning an argument, but about sharing one's relationship with God in a manner that reflects his love and grace. We're not to act like the world. We're to be different, right? We see it in sports. We see it in, in art. We're able to say that, that's, that's different. Right? That, that's how we ought to be. If we are allies with God, we, we ought to be different. We ought not to be like the world. And so, in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason For the hope that is in you, here's the behavior and the conduct we must have. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. So, this scripture emphasizes the responsibility that comes with testifying of Christ. Revering Christ in our hearts means recognizing him as the foundation of our hope and being ready to share this hope with others. However, the approach matters. The goal isn't to overpower or out-argue someone, but to genuinely share one's faith backed by personal experience. The emphasis on gentleness and respect underlines that our testimony is not a weapon, but rather our testimony is a gift. It's a gift. We are gifting the world our story by which it came by way of the gospel. And so... It's an invitation for others to look into our lives and see and experience God's love through our stories. Because remember, we were dead in trespasses and in sin. But because of God's grace, because of his redeeming love, because of his kindness toward us, We're able to tell others our story. We're able to tell them about what it means to have the greatest comeback in your life. Thomas Boston says this, Surely corruption is ingrained in our hearts, interwoven with our very natures, has sunk deep into our souls and will never be cured but by a miracle of grace, unquote. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about a miracle that has happened to us by way of God. So in the account from John 9, 13 through 16, the Pharisees who were deeply rooted 
in the traditional interpretation of the law questioned the legitimacy of the miracle Jesus performed. Not because they couldn't believe in the possibility of a miracle, but because it was done on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was considered to them a holy day of rest, and working on this day was prohibited by the law. Therefore, healing on the Sabbath was controversial and seen by some as a violation of this law. So while the Pharisees focused on the technicality of when the healing took place, they missed the grander miracle. A blind man received sight. This illustrates how skeptics often get caught up in details and miss the bigger picture. Their skepticism arose not necessarily from the fact that a blind man could see, but from their rigid understanding of what was permissible uh, on the Sabbath. So in our lives, there will always be individuals or groups that may question or even oppose our beliefs, experiences, or the ways God manifests in our lives. There will always be skeptics. This skepticism can arise from their personal beliefs, prejudices, or misunderstandings in such situations, it's vital to remain steadfast in our faith and convictions. And the story teaches us that it's not about arguing or convincing the skeptics, but about staying true to our experiences and beliefs. It's a reminder that faith often transcends logic or traditional understanding, and that it's okay if not everyone gets it. We don't have to worry about everyone getting it, but we can be consistent with the gospel message and how Christ saved us. And so it's essential to trust in our personal relationship with God and the transformation he brings about in our lives. Turn with me real quick to Matthew 12, 1 through 14. And here we're going to see Jesus is yet again healing on the Sabbath. Text says, and that at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, beginning at verse 1, 12, Matthew 12, 1. On the Sabbath, his disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests 
Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Again, he's referring to himself. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemn the guiltless for the son of man is lord of the sabbath he went on from there and entered and entered their synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand and they asked him is it lawful to heal on the sabbath so that they might accuse him he said to them which one of you who has a sheep if it falls into a pit on the sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Out of all that's going on, they're still wanting to kill him. And so this passage provides another instance where Jesus healed on the Sabbath, further drawing the sinfulness and evil of the Pharisees in their attempts to kill him. When Jesus healed a man's withered hand on the Sabbath, he was once again met with skepticism and opposition. But Jesus responded by highlighting the heart of the law over its letter, emphasizing mercy over sacrifice. He silenced his skeptics not by adhering to their limited interpretations, but by demonstrating the expansive and compassionate nature of God's kingdom. In essence, silencing the skeptics is not about literally quieting opposing voices, but about standing firm in the truth and the authenticity of one's faith, even when challenged. It's about recognizing that our relationship with God and our understanding of his works might not always align with popular or traditional beliefs, but knowing that this relationship is genuine and transformative. And so it leads us to standing firm in the faith. Standing firm in the faith is an essential tenet of Christian discipleship. It refers to the unwavering commitment to one's beliefs and convictions, especially when faced with opposition, doubt, and temptations. And so there's much that could be said, much more that could be said here, but for the sake of time, I'm going to stop here. I'm going to Reverse, come back, we'll pick it up on next time. We'll pick up on standing firm in the faith.
and we'll hopefully continue finishing this passage. And so um, be looking forward to that. And uh, may the Lord our God lead us as we continue learning uh, from John in this narrative. Let me uh, go ahead. Let, let me go ahead and pray.